If you have your Bibles this morning, we're open to Micah chapter 6. We're going to look there today. French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau once said, Happiness is a good bank account, a good cook, and a good digestion. That is what we would call today the good life. And there are many people that would agree with him. I mean, there are some people that say, oh, the good life is physical, and it doesn't get any better than a hot tub and a back rub and a drink at the pub. There are others that say the good life is material, and if you have the mansion and the Mercedes and the cash, you're living a good life. But God said the good life is spiritual. I mean, our text, uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we've been looking at the last several weeks, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And contrary to many opinions, goodness is not feeling good, it's not looking good, it's not owning good. It's all about being good and doing good. And because it's a fruit of the Spirit, we know that goodness can only come from God. It's not something that we can manufacture as man. something that God gives us. Romans 3.12 says, There is none who does good. No, not one. I mean, people are not basically good. Right? People are basically bad. And goodness is only possible with God. Do you ever think about if you take the, the word God out of the word good, all you're left with a big fat ooh? In fact, the word good comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word that has the connotation of God. Goodbye is an abbreviation of the Anglo-Saxon word or uh, phrase, God be with ye. Good literally means to be like God. And Jesus said something very revealing on one occasion about goodness and God. In Mark 10, it says the rich young ruler came up to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And that gets down to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Only God is good. And we know that God is good. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. We know God's work is good. Romans 8, 28, God works all things out for the good of those who love him. We know God's word is good. Psalms 119.39 says your judgments are good. We know God's ways are good. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we know God's will is good. Paul spoke about the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. If you're going to talk about good, then you have to talk about God. Because without God, (laughs) there is no goodness. And we don't have to wonder what goodness is. Because God tells us specifically, here's what it is. Our scripture this morning out of Micah 6.8, this is what it says. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, And to walk humbly with your God. See, notice we are told that God shows what is good. Goodness is not a matter of reason. It's a matter of revelation. And only God shows what is good because only God knows what is good. And we're going to find in this verse of Scripture a great definition of goodness, which is this. Goodness is personal godliness lived out in a practical way. So with that in mind, I want to share with you how to live 
the good life. Because the good life is a life that produces fairness. Right? According to God Himself, the first step of goodness is to do justly. Right? Verse 6, 8. What does the Lord require? To act justly. When a person is just, he does what is right. The great preacher John Wesley said he lived by this creed. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. See, here's why it's important to do justly, to do the right thing. You see you on the inside, but others only see you on the outside. I mean, you've heard that phrase, you are the only Bible some people will read. You're the only Christian some people may know. St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the good, the gospel all the time. If necessary, use words. See, we have to be extremely careful of what we do and how we do it. Or we might bring shame to the name of Jesus. We might be a stumbling block to other people who may never hear the gospel, but only see it in us. I mean, we are the only Bible the careless world may read. We're the sinner's gospel and the scoffer's creed. Blaise Pascal, the great French philosopher, made this statement. He said, next to the might of God, the serene, silent beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world. I mean, you may think just by being good, you're not doing a lot of good. But, but let me remind you of this. Never underestimate the power of even one person to have a tremendous influence by simply doing good, by doing the right thing at the right place at the right time. I came across this uh, statement that conveys the power of importance of influence that one person can have doing the right thing at the right time. It said in 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency. And in 1941, one vote saved the selective service system 12 weeks before Pearl Harbor. Now, I don't know who those individuals were that voted that way, but they were great people. Because the truly great person is a good person. You know, I think one of the reasons why so many people think Ronald Reagan was such a great president is because he gave off this aura of being a good person. I mean, just about everyone that worked with him had a story about some act of goodness that he performed. One relatively unknown story is about a woman named Frances Green. 83 years old, lived by herself on Social Security in California. Very little money, but for eight years, she sent $1 a year to the Republican National Committee. And one day she got an envelope, and inside was this beautiful, thick, cream-colored invitation with black and gold writing from the RNC, and invited her to come to the White House to meet President Reagan. Now, she didn't notice the little RSVP card, and she didn't notice that a positive reply should be accompanied by a healthy donation. She just thought she had been invited. 
because they appreciated that dollar a year that she sent. So she took every penny she had and took a four-day trip across America, sleeping, sitting up in a coach in a train because she couldn't afford a sleeper. And at the appointed time, this little old lady walked up to the guard at the White House. And behind her was an executive with the Ford Motor Company. He was watching her, and he knew something was wrong, but he didn't know what. Well, this woman gave her name to the guard, and he went down the list, and he said, I'm sorry, your name's not here. You can't come in. She was heartbroken. And the Ford executive took her aside and got her story, and, and he said, just stay here a moment. And he went inside to the White House to find someone to help. And then he came back, and he said, can you stay a couple days? Can you come back here on Tuesday? And she said, sure. And she went back to her hotel room. And the Ford uh, executive went in hoping to find someone to help. And he went to Ann Higgins, the presidential aide. And Ann went to the president's secretary and told the story. And she went to President Reagan. He said, bring her in the Oval Office on Tuesday. Well, Tuesday came and it was a very busy day. And the executive from Ford knew Reagan wouldn't be able to take time to meet her. So he met Francis Green at the gate. He gave her a personal tour of the White House. And then he got to the Oval Office at the appointed time, thinking maybe she could just get a glimpse of the president. Well, as they waited outside, Ronald Reagan motioned for her to come in. And when Mrs. Green, who was an older lady with no wealth and nothing really to offer, walked in, he got up and said as loudly as he could so everyone could hear him, Francis, those computers fouled up again. If I knew you were coming, I would have come out there and met you myself. And he took this lady by the arm and sat her down and spent a good part of the afternoon talking to her about California and her life and her thoughts on different subjects. See, I think that's why he was such a beloved president. All he did was take the time and the opportunity to do a good deed. All we as believers in Jesus need to do is take the time and take the opportunities we have to do a good deed. We must do what is right. The good life is also a life that promotes forgiveness. Listen to the second part of this verse 8. He showed you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require? To act justly and to love mercy. To love mercy. That Hebrew word has said is one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament, used over 250 times. And one English word alone cannot translate it. Because sometimes it's mercy, sometimes it's grace, sometimes it's love, sometimes it's loving kindness. But really it's all of those things and more tied up into one. See, notice he said though, we're not only just to be merciful, we are to love mercy. And I think that's because when you love mercy, you will live mercy. I mean, there's something liberating about mercy, about goodness, about treating the lowest and the littlest and the least with kindness, with grace. St. Augustine said, He that is good is free, though he be a slave. He that is evil is a slave, though he be a king. See, we all know that God is a merciful God. And we all know that God is a just and good God. But it's amazing in the places where you see how God is both good and merciful at the same time. 
I mean, did you know that you can see the goodness and the mercy of God in lightning? It might seem kind of strange, but stay with me. And oftentimes we see lightning and we think it can be pretty destructive. But God performs a service through that bolt of lightning. You see, we need nitrogen in our bodies, and nitrogen abounds in the atmosphere, but we can't absorb it in our lungs. So God sends this electrical charge through a bolt of lightning, and it separates the nitrogen from the atmosphere, and rain brings it down to the earth. And then this little bacteria transforms the nitrates into nitrites. And in that form, plants absorb it, and we eat the plants, or we eat the animals that eat the plants. And we get the nitrogen we need to live. And it all comes through that bolt of blessing, lightning. And that is a great picture of the goodness and the mercy of God. I mean, it's no wonder we're told to love mercy. Because too often, I'm afraid we love judgment and we loathe mercy. When it should be the other way around. I read a story about a, a shame-faced employee. He was coming before the president of his company, and his head was down because he had been caught embezzling. And he didn't know what was about to happen. The best he could hope for was to be fired. The worst was prison. And the man behind the desk said, Sir, let me ask you, are you guilty? And the clerk said, Yes, sir, I'm guilty. And the president said, Well, let me ask you this. I shall not press charges against you because... If I did, it would mean you go to prison. But if I forgive you, and if I keep you on at this job, can I trust you from now on? And the employee said, sir, if you will forgive me, if you will give me a second chance, I promise, with all of my heart and soul, as much as it is in me, you can trust me. And the president's eyes, filled with tears, <laughs> said this. He said, you, sir, are the second man who fell and was pardoned. I was first. I too committed a crime just like yours. And he said, the mercy that I have shown you is the same mercy that I myself have received. May God have mercy on us both. See, I can tell you that man understood the good life. A life that promotes forgiveness. The good life is also a life that proceeds from faithfulness. See, the last thing he says here in Micah 6, listen to this. Again, he has shown you a man what is good. And what does he require of you? He requires you to act justly. He requires of you to love mercy. And third, he requires of you to walk humbly with your God. Now we learn the real secret, the real source of goodness is walking with God. Are, are you not told that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord? Isn't it sad that civilized man, we've learned how to fly, but we've lost the art of walking with God? I mean, the truly good person will have a walk with God because goodness is the work of God. And what God is telling us is this, being good comes from and comes before doing good. Merv Griffin once interviewed Charlton Heston and he played the part of Moses in the Ten Commandments. And Merv asked him, he said, if playing Moses had any impact on his spiritual outlook. And Charlton Heston thought for a moment, he said, Merv, you cannot walk barefoot down Mount Sinai and be the same person you were when you went up. 
See, without having a walk with God, we cannot be good. But if we do have a walk with God, we can't help but be good. I mean, there are some people who say goodness is a matter of the head. Right? If you know what is good, then you'll do what is good. But, but that's not true. Paul said in Romans 7, For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that I keep doing. And there are some people that say goodness is a matter of the hands. It's simply treating others good. But the truth is, doing good does not make you good. I mean, there are murderers on death row who are good to their mothers. But they're not good people. No, goodness is not a matter of the head or the hands. Goodness is a matter of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the goodness and treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Goodness is not a matter of what you know or what you do. It's a matter of what you are. It's not a deed that you do. It's fruit that you bear. The fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The fruit of the Spirit that ripens and never rots. See, no matter how good you are, as you grow in the Lord, as you walk closer to Him, that's when you find that your goodness gets better. It's like that old poem, Good, better, best. Never let it rest. Till your good is better, and your better is best. That's what happens when you truly have a walk with God. You know, someone told me, you ever think about the fact that a musician is judged not by how long he plays, but how well he plays? See, what really matters to God is not how long you live. It's how good you live. Sir Francis Bacon said, Of all virtues and dignities of the mind, goodness is the greatest being the character of the deity. And without it, man is busy, mischievous, and a wretched thing. Some of you may remember Susan B. Anthony Dollars. It was only around for three years, for good reason. It looked too much like a quarter. And people didn't like the confusion. The public said loud and clear that a dollar should look like a dollar. It ought to look like it's worth four quarters, not just one. I mean, the coin that many thought was going to revolutionize our monetary system seemed like chunk change and quickly fell out of circulation. You see, the world expects us as believers who call ourselves Christians to be good and godly, to be the real thing, not a cheap imitation. We are to look like Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I would have become a Christian if I had met more true Christians. This world is so full of badness. And what it needs is goodness. And that is produced when we know Jesus. When we love God. When we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you. Do you need the goodness? The goodness that only comes through accepting Christ as your Savior, through having His Spirit live in you. Because if that's what you need, come talk to me. Stop by the church and visit with me. And for those of us that are believers, 
For those of us that have received Christ as our Savior, have surrendered our lives to Him, let me just challenge you, how are you sharing goodness this week? What can you do this week to let those in your life see the goodness of God through your words and through your actions? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your spirit that that fills us with your goodness. And Lord, I pray you help us to share that goodness with others so that they can see you in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.